And uh, on Sunday night, we talked about change. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit, all of, a lot of 2001, was talking about that change was coming. And, uh, and we prayed about change a lot in the prayer room and, and moving up to the next level and uh, letting go of the old and letting go of that which is in the past and, and, and changing because change was in the air all of 2001. And there was just change everywhere. It was like onus. Amen. And then, you know, just not too long ago, I realized that, you know, I've just meditating on change and how, and you know, I just got to remembering God's not going to change. That he said in Malachi, I'm the Lord, I change not. And uh, he's the same. Jesus said, uh, it was said of Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Hallelujah. So uh, God's not going to change. So I realized that, you know, now he may change a little bit of how he does things or uh, or some, or how he leads us to do things. But um, we were the ones that's going to have to do the changing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah. I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, okay. But anyway, um, so um, the body of Christ has got to change. It's time for a change in the body. It's time for us to change in order to move where God is moving. God is moving into higher places. Amen. And he does that regularly like, hallelujah. I know, you know, he, he's, he's, he changed he, in the 60s. You know, he brought in that charismatic renewal and a whole bunch of people had to change. And uh, it was a joy, though. And I'll tell you, you don't have to be afraid of changing because it's a joy. It's a joy. It's, it's painful sometimes starting to, to realize, you know, I've got to change this about myself. I've got to let God change me. But it's a joy. Well, you'll rejoice when it's done. You'll re- I'm so glad that I changed back in 1980. Amen. And uh, it, it, it took effort and it took... Uh, letting go of some stuff, but I'm so glad that I changed. Amen. I'm so glad that I'm not a little farmer's wife in Seagraves, Texas. And I just know, you know, that if I didn't know the truths that I have now, that it wouldn't, you know, I can just, I just know it wouldn't be well with our family. We would have struggled. We would have struggled physically in the, in the physical realm. We would have struggled in the Financial realm, probably we did have some struggles financially. Farmers struggled, you know. Some a lot of farmers are really struggling, and um, um, we would have struggled there some. And but mostly, I think it would have been uh, physically and emotionally. And I know that if we hadn't known the truths that we know, and we hadn't changed, that uh, we would our kids would have we would have struggled. Because I look at the people I graduated from high school with and the people Michael graduated with, that a lot of them still live in the town we grew up in and where my mom lives and his parents live, and, uh, and they struggle. And I thought, and they, they were where we would have been. And so I'm glad we changed. And so, so we, as the body of Christ, we've got to change. God is moving. And uh, Brother Hagin, we talked about this Sunday night. Brother Hagin said... And, and if you don't like this, well, he's already gone to glory and you can't do nothing about it. And uh, that 2005 would be a year of judgment. 
And he said in the prophecy, we read it Sunday night, we won't take the time to read it tonight, that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Well, he got that from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We could turn there. And verse uh, 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. And he said, uh, and he, he's going in and he talks about, He's talking about actually the Lord's table and not drinking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. In verse 31, he says, but if, for if we would judge ourselves, Paul's telling this, we should, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And, um, I, I did need to say about judgment, you don't have, um, uh, God will never judge us in the, in the spirit. Your spirit is perfect. You're born again. You are not going to be judged in the spirit. So you're not going to face any judgment when you get to heaven. You're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ, but that's the reward seat. Yeah. Hallelujah. If you can make it to heaven, you're in the clear. Woo. Hallelujah. You know, you're in the clear of the but God will judge the flesh. If we don't judge and see he's not talking about us judging our spirit. He's talking about us judging our flesh. And if you don't judge your flesh, he, God will have to judge it for you. And, and so we want to judge ourselves this year so that in 2005, we don't, ha we don't, even, we don't even know it's happening. Amen? And uh, God's not going to let the body of Christ. You, I know you can look around and you can see the condition of the body of Christ. I know you can see how many out of over 100 people that say we are... Word of Life Church is our church. How many are not here tonight? And say, that's not a good condition for the body of Christ to be in. And I know you can see that, and I can see that. And I know, um, the, I know the body of Christ isn't where God wants it to be. And I know you know that, and I know that. And I know that all, none of us could say we're 100% where God wants us to be. And so God's got to get the body of Christ where he wants it to be. And I know he knows how to do that. Amen. He knows how to do that. But his desire is for us to, even now in 2004, is he never wants to judge people. God didn't, it is never his will. And in the Old Testament, when he judged, he judged people in the Old Testament. And it'll, you know, and it'll say God smote them and, and whatever. And usually that's just a permissive sense that he allowed it to happen. I mean, it is uh, the permissive sense. He didn't do it. He allowed Satan to do it. And he stepped back from his protection. But God never wants to do that. It breaks his heart to have to do that. But he judged Satan. And he threw him out of heaven. And that's why he had to judge Adam. He didn't want to judge Adam. When Adam fell, but he had to because he had already judged Satan. And he is a legal and just and righteous God. And he never wants to judge people. Never does he ever want to judge. It breaks his heart. He does not want to. But he's legal and he's just. And he cannot say, Satan, you get judged for yours. And you're going to the pit of hell forever. But I'm going to overlook yours. He can't do that because that would be unjust. And so even against his wills. And so he's going to bring the body of Christ where it's got to be. And I just want to voluntarily go. Let's just go where he wants us to be. Amen. 
And so we've been talking about this, and on Sunday night we started. And I know this is kind of a serious message, but, you know, uh, sometimes, and we just have to make sure we're not the kind of people that want to get people that will tickle our ears around us. So this is not a tickle. This won't tickle. I can promise you this is not going to tickle. Uh, Jeremiah 1.10 is what I want to give you tonight. Hallelujah. You know, we just have to eat our vegetables. We talked about that. we got to eat our vegetables tonight because we need to be healthy in the body of Christ. Jeremiah 1.10, and we need this body to be healthy. And uh, Jeremiah 1.10 says, uh, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Say this with me, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. And what the Holy Spirit showed me about that verse is that, um, you know, we're planting when we confess. We make good confessions. I know you make good confessions. We've been making confessions in healing school on Wednesday, and we, we're confessing the Word. That's planting. And, uh, and you make confessions over your finances. I give, and it's given unto me. We make confessions. Money cometh. You know, we make confessions. Uh, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and that's planting, and that's building. And we're building, and we're planting. But the Lord showed me also that we have to pull down in our lives. And we have to destroy in our lives. And we have to uh, uh, throw down in our lives. And what he explained it to me like this is, when you're planting a garden, you got to weed it too. you got to pull the weeds out. And you got to root out. And if you don't, you can plant all you want to. But I bet we could ask Miss Betty, and if you didn't weed and pull out and plant, no matter how much you planted good seed, it just it just isn't going to work, is it? It just isn't going to work. And um, so in our lives, in our in our kind of church, we do a lot of planting, and we do a lot of building, but we need to do a little weeding tonight. Amen. And we need to throw down some things. Amen. Um, we, what we talked about Sunday night, for those of you that weren't here, is selfishness and being self-centered. And we talked that self-centeredness is blatant immaturity. It's time for the body of Christ to mature, isn't it? Time to grow up. And we talked about that the greatest problem in the body of Christ today, worldwide, but especially in the United States, is selfishness. And I, I confess to you that every problem that we have in this church is people being selfish. There is not one problem that you could name that the root of it isn't because somebody's selfish. And um, we don't have a whole lot of problems in this church, but the problems we have getting people to just be here are all selfishness. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's being self-centered. And uh, the, any financial problems that the church has are selfishness. And it's not always because I'm, I'm not, hey, I'm very thankful for your offerings. And, and I know y'all are generous. But 
And, and I, I don't know if you're obeying God or not, because only you know if you're obeying God. Nobody can judge you in that. Only you and God know if you're obeying Him and if you're not being selfish. But I do know that there are people all over Tuscaloosa County that God said, go help Michael and Debbie start a Word of Faith church in uh, Tuscaloosa County. And they were selfish and they didn't obey God. Some of them never even got here the first time and they were selfish and yet God led them. He gave them unction. He spoke to them. Some of them came and came once and didn't even come back the second time, but God spoke to them. I can think of some people. I know. I mean, I just had a witness in my heart when they visited that you're called here. I mean, some people I thought, no, you're not called here. You're in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, but some people you just had a witness. And then there's people that came. They hooked up for a while. The Bible says having no root in themselves. And uh, immediately when tribulation came because of the word, they got discouraged. They got offended and they fell away. And so, but it was all rooted in selfishness. It was all about me, 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 me. I didn't get what I thought. I didn't get what I wanted. They didn't do what I thought. They didn't say what I wanted. I dis I don't agree. We had heard somebody say, I just don't agree with some things. And I'm like, get over it. How I, You know, the, the, I always say a misconception is church. Some people say, well, I'm leaving this church because I don't like the music. Now, this isn't the case. But I tell you what, this isn't the case now, but about... Mm. at least 14 years out of the 20 years we've pastored. I didn't like it either. I totally agreed. <laughs> but you know, you've got to do the best you can with what you have. And we can't make people do things. You know, and so sometimes it's like, well, I don't like the music. We'll come be a part of the answer. Or I don't like this, or I don't like that. Well, you know, don't be selfish. If you'll pray, it'll change. Amen. And so we have wonderful music now. But for 14 years, boy, we had one, we went several years with no music. I mean, no piano player. Nobody could play a guitar. Nobody could do nothing. And it's not fun. And hallelujah. It was, it was hard. It was hard. But I tell you, we, we got strong in it. Because when you have to, you know, I don't think Jesus said, you know, I just can't preach because I just don't have any musicians here today. I just don't think he did that. Do y'all? Y'all yes. think he did? <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. You're just trying to agree, right? You know, I, I just, I don't think that it, I think Jesus just like got tough. And you know, it made us tough those years in Seminole. We would just get up and say, let's all lift our hands and praise God. And you know, I don't know, I don't, I think we tried singing a cappella and we decided, oh man, we'll just leave, leave that to the Church of Christ. And that's just, you know, they're good at it though. Have y'all ever heard them sing? I'm telling you, they can, they can get down singing a cappella, harmonize and do all sorts of things. Just, whoo. I guess when you got to, you can make a way, but we just never had a new house. So, so, uh, Maturing means we grow out of our selfish state. You know, a lot of uh, divorces are just selfishness, aren't they? I guess probably the great majority of them are just because of selfishness. Did you know abortion is all about selfishness? It's all about this is going to interfere with my life. This is going to mess up my life. 
sometimes, maybe not so much now, but back when, when I was younger, and it was about, this is going to be real embarrassing to me and my family, and it's so is all about selfishness. It wasn't a, it, so. It's like I'm so selfish, I I I can murder a human being, and that's what the root cause of abortion is is selfishness, and so. You know, that's not the problem here because I'm telling you, if you've had an abortion, you're forgiven. And so that means uh, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. When you're forgiven, God says, I throw that, I forgive you, and I throw that in the sea of my forgetfulness. And okay, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. I know I've got a friend, and she had to go and do a, what do you call that when you have to go to the judge and do a, what did she have to do? That's it. I couldn't think of that word. Deposition. This week. And her um, her husband had had an affair. And this a deposition that she had to do all had to do something with that affair. And she's, the Holy Ghost told her, he's repented. It's in the sea of my forgetfulness. And see, she can't prove he did it. She doesn't really know. I mean, she wasn't there. And she said, uh, so in her deposition, she just, she did not, she covered for him. Because he didn't do it. Because he's forgiven. Because he repented. So if you did it, you're forgiven. You're, you, you're covered. You're, it's gone. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Like we t- talked with somebody once and we said, uh, um, she said, I think she told us, she said, I'm forgiven. So, so I don't have an ex-husband. She says, I don't have an ex-husband. My child has a father, but I don't have an ex-husband. Hallelujah. I thought that was pretty good myself. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're forgiven. We need to make some corrections because selfishness has to come out of the body of Christ. In, turn to Romans, if you would, with me tonight. Romans chapter 14. I like being forgiven, don't y'all? And and God will forgive us of selfishness and He'll help us root it out. Because we need to get rid of selfishness. We gotta we you know, we've gotta help each other. And we've gotta encourage each other, and we gotta help Pastor Billings because God didn't just call two people to build a word of faith church in Tuscaloosa County. Because he, he knew it'd take more than two. Two can't do it. Pastor and I can't do it. we got to have help. And we need more help than we're getting, I'll tell you. We need more help. We need y'all to attend. Because when visitors come and you're not here, it makes the church look empty. It's hard on people to come. They think, you know, when they're hearing a new gospel that they hadn't heard before, and to them, to hear God didn't make you sick is a new gospel. And so when they hear a new gospel... They don't want to think they're the only ones in town going to step out in faith on this new gospel. So we need these seats full. We need them full every service. We need your help. We need you to not be selfish. Amen?
We need help in prayer. We can't, there's, there's a supply of the Spirit in all of us. And we can't, I can't pray enough prayers because, see, I just got one slant. But, but when we add all of us together, it makes a whole. And so we need your help in prayer. And we also need you to pray for us. We, and we need your encouragement. I mean, a lot of you don't think to encourage us. I'm not going to say any more than that, but we need to be encouraged. When you got something out of the message, if it helped you, we need to be encouraged. We need to know that. Amen? We need, we need and, and Kevin needs to be encouraged, and, and uh, the children's ministers need encouragement. And we all need to be encouraged more, and we all need to do more encouraging. Pastor and I need to encourage you more. And we do try to always bring you an encouraging message. And um, I'm trying to make this very encouraging tonight. <laughs> uh, Romans 14, verse 6. It says, um, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. And that's kind of confusing, isn't it? But verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. None of us lives to ourselves. None of us lives to ourselves. You can't live your life and just say, it's just about me. Because it's not. It's not. And if you're born again, the Bible says you've been bought with a price, and you are not your own. You are not your own. That you belong to God, and you are here just for His plans and His purposes. And He has a right because He bought you off the auction block of sin, and you didn't have to get saved. You chose it. He didn't make you. It was your own free will that chose it. And there was a cost to it. It's not You don't pay to get saved, but there's a cost afterwards, and we serve Him. And He has the right to call you to do anything He wants you to do. He has the right to ask you to give up anything. And if, it, if He's called you and your wife won't go with you, you still have to go. I'm sorry. you got to leave her and walk away. If he's called you and your girlfriend or boyfriend don't want to be married to a preacher, you're still called and he's not going to change his mind. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance and he will not change his mind and he will not back up. And he, had a, he, he has a right to call you. He has a right to ask you right now tonight to sell everything you've got and go to Africa. And he, if he sends you, he's responsible to finance you there and he'll take care of you and he'll bless you. But I just wanted to point out that he has a right to do that. And he has a right to expect us in church and he has a right to expect us to tithe. He bought us. Amen. And if it means that we don't have Nike tennis shoes, that my dad buys his tennis shoes at Walmart. And he just thinks they're the cat's meow. He can't figure out why anybody would pay $120 for a pair of tennis shoes when you can go down to Wally World, he calls it, and get your, 
get you a pair. And, and look, they're really good. And, you know, we're like, fine, Dad, fine, you know. Uh, but uh, if you have to go to Walmart and buy your tennis shoes and you don't, your kids, then you still, he still expects you to tithe. He has a right to ask you. If your kids get dressed out of the thrift store, he'll help you dress them nice out of the thrift store. But I'd rather be obedient to God and dress my kids from the thrift store. Actually, mine, for several years there, God helped us to grow and improve. But for several years, they got dressed out of Walmart and Anthony's. Y'all don't know what Anthony's is, but I think uh, Lawrence and Kathleen and Myron knows what Anthony's is, but... It's not real high, is it? It's a step above Walmart, but it's not real high. Hallelujah. Hannah. But my kids got dressed from there. But I'd rather be obedient and have, you know, and I tell you, it doesn't, I've worn garage sale clothes, and it don't hurt kids to wear garage sale clothes. And I'd rather have parents that were obedient to God until they can grow in faith. Because if you'll be obedient to God, you'll grow in faith. And we started out, our kids started out wearing Walmart and, and uh, we'd buy them little t-shirts and shorts and Walmart and, and uh, uh, garage sale. I don't think, I don't really ever remember buying them clothes in garage sales. Little boys' clothes at garage sales are always worn flat out, you know. <laughs> little boys are hard on clothes. <laughs> Hallelujah. And um, so, uh, but. God helped us to grow and increase in our faith. And I know by the time Eric was in the seventh grade and eighth grade, he was wearing Tommy Hilfiger shirts. And he, he was having getting shirts from Dillard's and, and things like that. But God will help you. God will help you. But he has a right to, to ask us. I mean, really to, to require of us is what the tithe is required. It's not an asking. And, and, and obedience is required. And he has a right. And uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. The, the Faith is activated by love. The things you're believing for will come by faith working through love. And sometimes we're trying to believe for stuff but we're not, we don't, we're not operating in love. Because if you're operating in selfishness, you're not operating in love. Because love's not ever selfish. And when you're operating out of love, your faith's never going to work quite right. You're, it's always gonna, you're always not going to have what you believed for, or at least not all of what you believe for. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's not going to work as efficiently. Because faith worketh by love. God designed it that way. That's what keeps faith in check. That's what keeps me from believing my neighbor's house will burn down. Is I can't believe that because that wouldn't be love. Amen. And that's what keeps you using your faith against people. That's really witchcraft, that kind of stuff. But if we're selfish, that's not love and our faith won't work properly. Turn to Galatians chapter, no, excuse me, Job chapter 42. We looked at this at healing school this morning. Job 42, and this is, I love this scripture, and I've used this scripture. I've held this scripture up before God before, and it's just proof that 
Unselfishness causes the blessings of God to come. When we get unselfish, and Job 42 verse 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We need to pray for our friends. If we would be more diligent to pray for others and, and, and get less on ourselves, we would see some things we're not seeing. You know, prayer is love, and that's what this is talking about. Prayer is love. When Job got to walking in love, and he got to praying for other people. When's the last time, I want to ask you, family, that you prayed for somebody else to prosper? When's the last time you prayed for somebody else to be healed when you were believing for healing or when you're believing for something? This is talking about getting your eyes off of yourself. You know, we got to quit, as that Romans said, quit living unto ourselves. Quit living unto ourselves. We are needed in the body of Christ, and we need to help each other. We, learn, we need to learn to live and work with others in a godly manner. It takes no effort to walk in love with yourself. If you close yourself off in the house and you don't ever see anybody, you won't have any trouble walking in love. I can promise you it's easy. It's easy. But what takes effort is to walk in love in relationships. And even marriage sometimes is not a real good test that you're walking in love. Because you, you can have a selfish motive for even treating your spouse right, and especially you men. It's like, you can because it's like, if I cross her, it'll be hell. So I didn't mean to say it like that. But, but you know, you can think, well, I'm really walking in love with her. No, you're just not crossing her. You'll learn, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. Now, that's love. Huh? But when we have to work to walk in love in relationships, don't we? We have to work to walk in love in the church. I mean, it takes work, doesn't it? I mean, it takes, I mean, my flesh doesn't always want to walk in love. Does yours? And I'll tell you, it doesn't always. And we need to change that. Because when it doesn't, it's because... We're selfish. Amen? And selfishness is the opposite of divine love. And let me give you a definition for selfishness. Selfishness is being concerned or caring chiefly and only for yourself. It's caring and being only concerned for yourself, only regarding your own interests, and it's being influenced in your actions primarily or completely by the view of private advantages. In other words, only viewing things by how they will benefit you. You know, we could be even wrong in our giving if we're just giving. And we ought to expect a return, but if we're just giving because it it'll benefit us some way, if we're only giving to get, we've got a wrong... We've got a wrong motive. And yet it's wrong the people, there's people equally wrong that say, oh, I, I wouldn't want God to give me anything for my giving. That's wrong too. Because we need to expect a harvest so that we can help promote the kingdom and give again. Amen. But 
when we only have a view of how something's going to benefit us. That's so, you know, that's so one-sided. You know, when we only think about in our neighborhoods, well, what's going to benefit me? If we only think when we're driving about what's going to benefit me. And a lot of people, I've noticed, y'all may not agree, and I know selfishness is everywhere, but I think it's easier to be selfish in a big town like this. Because, and I'll tell you why, is because most of the people that you encounter every day, you don't know them. In a little town you form, you know people. And so your heart, because you know people, you're more compassionate towards the people you know. And when everybody knows everybody, you know, you'll be more caring, just naturally. I know in my neighborhood, I could be selfish and not care because I don't really know any of them. But we need to be caring. And God dealt with me about two months ago, I guess it's, and he told me, let everybody in. You know, in driving, you know how they'll be sitting there waiting to get in. And he said, let everybody in. And you know, really, it's true. You still get to the next light at the same time. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can only go so fast because then you're going to have to stop at the next red light, you know. And so he said, let everybody in. And you know it. You know what it did? It's done a lot of things. It's calmed my nerves. Because you can just get where you're just hammering on the wheel at people. You know, just get out of the way. What is wrong with you? And it'll calm you down. And the next, and that prevents a lot of things, just calming down, doesn't it? But also, um, when what you sow, you reap. So when you need to be let in, you know, somebody will let you in. And I've been experiencing that, people letting me in because I changed that about myself. I needed to change because I was being too impatient driving. Um, you know, this selfishness that we just described, that's not love. Being only seeing how things, they will benefit us. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we see there what love is. And, and one thing it is, is it's never selfish. And there's lots of good versions on 1 Corinthians 13. I know the Living Bible, the old Living Bible, not the new Living Translation, uh, is a really good one. Verse 4, beginning of verse 4, I believe I'll read from the Amplified. It says, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious and it does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful, and it takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. And then it goes on to say that prophecy and all of those things will one day end, but love's never going to end. Heaven is full of love, isn't it? 
You know, if we're open to God and we want to be right, and we really want to have this love and we really want to please God, then we'll have to root out and guard against selfishness. Not only just root it out, but then we have to guard against it. Because it's real easy for selfishness to come, isn't it? We talked about Sunday night how selfishness just comes so naturally. And if you don't believe that, just watch any little kid trying to share with his brother or sister. It's just so natural to be selfish, isn't it? Uh, Just the natural man. But if we're open, God will help us. And if we're sincere and want to make corrections, and if we want to be in the place uh, in order to go on, God will help us grow. God does not want us to be defeated by our flesh. But if we don't get control of our flesh, it will defeat us. We can have all the best doctrine in the world. We can believe all things. Even the, even it goes on to say there that uh, if we have all faith and have not love, we're nothing. If we're selfish and we've got, no matter how much faith we've got, no matter how much we know, we can have all knowledge, we can have it, we can, we can think we're something pretty hot. But if we're selfish and we don't have love, then we're nothing and it's not going to work. And I want this gospel to work. I want this gospel, we need it to work. We need to make a demonstration to Tuscaloosa County that this stuff works. We need to make a demonstration to this county that we get healed, that we get our needs met. We need to make a demonstration that we prosper under this gospel, that we don't preach this thing in vain, but that we prosper. Amen? But it won't work for us if we don't use it in love and we don't get selfishness out of our heart. Uh, when, we, when God shows us to make corrections, we've got to do it. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have to trust God that He always has our best interest in His heart. When He asks us to make a correction or to give up something, do something, It'll always turn. It may be painful to our flesh. It might be painful to our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. But it'll always turn out right. It'll always turn out for our good. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now I'm going to read this also in the New Living Translation. And this is such little print. You got good eyes? Uh Uh-huh, you just got it, okay. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days there would be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. 
They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. Hallelujah. And, you know, we also, besides staying away from people like that, must not be people like that. You know, he's really talking to Christians here. If you read the first chapter, I'm going to read this from the Amplified. But understand this, that in the last days will come set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth. I want us to stop right there just for a second by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. Because we preach a prosperity message and we believe it. And we believe it's God's will. But we are not to be lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. And if we have that, it will get us off track. It will defeat us. God wants us to prosper for the sake of giving. He wants us to have nice things because every parent wants their child to have nice things. But he does not want us to have a greedy desire for wealth that causes us to compromise our principles, that causes us to compromise the Word of God, that causes us to make choices that are not his choices for our life. It says, For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanders, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. We will look at some of the definitions now and some of the characteristics of selfishness. And we're going to root them out and we're going to throw them down. Amen. If we recognize ourselves in any of these, and we should. If you don't recognize yourself in any of these, then you're not dealing truthfully. Because we didn't come here to say, I need to get this tape for my wife. Or my husband. Or, you know, we came here to look at ourselves and be truthful and throw down. So let's throw down. Amen. Covetous means to be greedy. To have our mind on things more than on God. To, and, to, and in our church, it could be loving, prospering more than loving God. Number two, boasters. Because he talks about boasters. A boaster is a bragger. He's somebody that brags, that wanders around, brags about themselves. They're full of words about themselves. That's what the definition. Full of words about yourself. We need to... Draw other people out and find out about others. 
Even if you don't talk about yourself, it's selfish not to be interested in other people. We ought to ask people about themselves. I know Miss Phyllis. There's one thing when I moved to Birmingham that I noticed right away about Miss Phyllis, and Miss Phyllis is an awesome lady. Anna, she is Miss Southern Belle. She is gracious and, oh, God, to be so gracious and soft-spoken, you know. But God didn't make us all the same way. He made some of us loud and bold, didn't he, Karen? Hallelujah. Me and you. Hallelujah. We know us anyway. But I love that. I was like, you know, if you want to wish to be somebody else, I'd be wish to be Miss Phyllis. And uh, I'd rather be her. She's a prayer. She's not so much of a preacher. But I noticed that when we would see her, we'd go in the church, she always would ask us about us. She would always ask about our children. And then she would always say, she always said this at the last, she always said, do y'all need anything? Do y'all need anything? And we didn't, but it was just, it's nice to be asked. Amen? Because she showed an interest in us. And I know we went to Birmingham um, on Martin Luther King Day, and we went to Costco, and that's like Sam's. It's new in Birmingham. We just had to go check it out. And uh, so we, when we saw Jim and Becky, it must be a Southern thing, because we saw Jim and Becky McCann, and they're ministers in Adamsville, and they're precious people. And Becky said, she asked about us. She asked, how are your kids doing? I mean, she's just interested in you. And some of us just don't ever show any interest to the people we're around. We want to talk about ourselves, or, or sometimes it's not even that. We're just too busy to be interested in somebody else. But I try to do that. I try. I know everything about the lady that cuts my hair and does my hair. I know everything about her family. I know everything about every husband and every daddy and every, you know, I know it all. I just know everything. And the lady that does my nails, and I know her, I know everything about her and all her kids. And I know because I asked. And people want to tell you. And we need to be interested in people. And um, so don't be full of words about yourselves or even full of thoughts about yourself where all you're thinking about is what I can get done today and I'm in a hurry. Amen. The third one was pride. And this means showing yourself to be above others. It means having an exalted opinion of yourself. You know, I'm like you're better than somebody. Have you ever heard that? They think they're better than everybody else? Well, you know, if we're saying that about somebody, we might need an adjustment too. But Romans 12 says we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know, we're to think highly of others. Pride will keep us from receiving from God and obeying God. The fourth was blasphemer. And a blasphemer, you know, I know what you, my first thought is, oh, they use the Lord's name in vain, don't you? Isn't that what you always think? But that's really not what it's talking about. It's talking about being a mocker. Being a slander, it's, it's, the per, it's a person that mocks and slanders others because they don't feel secure about themselves. They're mocking and they're slanderous of others. The uh, Criticizing others. The fifth one is disobedient to parents. And this means to be unyielding. This means not to show respect. It means not yielding to authority. And I, I think, I'll tell you, if you 
don't, if you, if nobody in your childhood made you be obedient and, and even, I don't, I don't know, but I've just noticed that sometimes people grow up and they're grown, but it's like they still got childhood rebellion on the inside of them. And if you do, if your mom and dad didn't drive it out with a rod of correction, and even if they did and somehow they, they left a little part or something, you need to throw it down. Because it's all it is is selfishness. And it can be left over from childhood. Another thing I've noticed parents, that is if you don't drive it out, your kids may act perfect all through school and you think, well, they really didn't need it. But I'm telling you, sometime it's coming out. They may be in college, they may be married, but that selfishness, if you don't help them drive out rebellion, which is selfish by using the paddle on them, it'll come out eventually. And so it means um, yielding to authority. And you know, I think a lot of times people have a lot of trouble yielding to authority in the church because they're selfish and they, they're still full of that rebellion from, that's just in every child. So, but we can throw it down. We can choose not to be rebellious. And it's always better not to be rebellious. And when somebody tells you no, you can't have something, there's another way besides rebellion. When Pastor Webb, when we felt, he, we agreed with Pastor Webb that we would come to Tuscaloosa and plant a church, but the agreement we had with him, both all of us, was that we would turn it over to somebody else and that when we got it established and, and that we would uh, move on and help him plant another church. But after we'd been coming just three or four months, three months I think it was, we knew that we were supposed to be the ones and we were supposed to stay. And so we went back to see him and said, we're supposed to move to Tuscaloosa. We're supposed to stay. And he said, sorry, there's two people ahead of you. And we knew it in our heart that it was ours. And we knew that we were supposed to put our house on the market and we were supposed to be here before August 12th. And this was like in May. And, uh, but we made a decision. We made a decision and we told him, we won't rebel. We won't rebel. If you never say, we can go, we won't rebel. Because there's another way. And we just said, Lord, you know, we know it's ours and you know it's ours, so you do the work. And we just thanked God and walked the floor and told him, thank you, Lord, we're moving to Tuscaloosa. And finally, the first part of July, God stretched us in that commitment not to rebel. That the first part of July, finally, one night, Pastor Webb just turned to us and said, go on down there then. And we just, we had a sign in the yard the next morning, house for sale. Hallelujah. So, we didn't rebel. Um, you can choose not to, and there's a better way. There's a better way to get blessed. Amen. Uh, number six, unthankful means to be ungrateful. And we need to ask ourselves tonight, how often do we say thank you? Not just to God. I mean, we're, I think we're thanking God probably more than we're thanking people. But how often do we say thank you to each other? How often do we say thank you in restaurants to waiters? Or do we treat waiters like, you have an obligation to wait on me. 
I, I try to say thank you when they refill our tea glass because Pastor drinks a lot. And so they, he can keep a waiter. He can just wear them to the ground. <laughs> Hallelujah. We like the restaurants that give you a big old glass because it's better. Um, but anyway, um, we need to learn to be gracious and be very thankful to people. And so Pastor and I tonight want to say thank you to you. We are thankful. We're thankful you're here tonight. We thank you for giving. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you. We thank you for stepping out of your other church and coming to help us and help God plant a church in Tuscaloosa County. Number eight, number seven, unholy. This means to use profane, impure, crude, or rude speech. It's selfish to be unholy and to use that kind of speech. And it grieves my heart. I don't like the stuff that's in movies today. I don't like the words and stuff that are in them and on the TV too, but it's worse in movies, I think. I don't know. I don't watch TV much, but not, no problem. Come in. Um, I don't like that crude, rude language, that profane language. And I don't think we ought to like it. I don't think we ought to listen to it. I hate that word that, oh, I don't even want to say that. I hate that word that everybody uses all the time in the movies. And, of course, it's just rude. And it's, it's, it's just, and I don't, my fear is getting used to it. My fear, I tell you, I fear that getting planted in my heart. I really do fear it. I have had that word just come into my mind. And I, if you get that stuff in you, you'll say it one day. If it gets put in your heart in abundance, I know you will. Because I was raised... Mm, uh, around people, my kin folks, they swore and talked badly, not nearly badly as his own TV. Now the things, the things that they said now seem like don't even seem like cuss words, you know. Uh, they just like, but that stuff gets in you, even as a child. And I have sometimes. You know, we got we. I have never said those words, even when I was growing up. I didn't say them, but they're in there. And if you don't watch it, when you least expect it, when your guard's down and you hit your toe on the chair going through the house, some word, you'll go, Lord, I didn't even know that was in my heart, and it's there, and it just rips out. And that's I. And I have such a fear. Of, of, of getting any of that foulness inside of me. I just can't. And that, that's why we have TV Guardian. And um, it just grieves, it grieves us too much. I like what Vicki Vicky Avery said. I am tired. Of, uh, I'd just rather not go to a movie than have to go and then repent after going. It's easier just not to go than to have to repent afterwards. 
And so, you know, we like TV. We were, like I said before, we're TV generation. And we were raised with TV, and we like TV, but so we just record stuff. And we watch strange stuff that, I mean, you know, Sunday night we went home, and I and we wanted to watch TV. You know, you're just tired, you want to watch TV. And so, what we, you know what we watched? I had recorded um, Outdoor Kitchens. <laughs> and on HGTV, they were showing how people built outdoor kitchens in their yards. And so for an hour, me and Pastor watched Outdoor Kitchens. I know that sounds really exciting, but <laughs> we watch RV shows. We watch, you know, we'll watch fishing. We'll just about watch anything, but... There's, there's not, a, there's a lot of stuff that it just grieves my heart, and I can tell you I have watched some of it sometimes, but I get tired. Of, I'm just not watching it anymore, and be grieved afterwards in my heart. And it's, uh, it's selfish to be unholy. Our words are to minister grace to the hearer and to edify and to build up, and we're to be an encouragement to the body of Christ. And so. If we're going to be, we'll have to guard some things. Number eight, to be without natural affection. Now, you know, I've always interpreted this totally wrong. I've always, without natural affection, that's like homosexual, you know. But that's not what it means. It means to be callous, uncaring, hard-hearted, cold, and harsh. And the example they gave was giving a cold shoulder or being unfriendly. Without natural affection, callous, uncaring. And in the last days, it's going to be easy to be callous. It's going to be easy to be uncaring and hard-hearted and cold and harsh. Number nine is truce breakers. Truce breakers. It means someone that doesn't want anything to do with commitment. We can see that in the church today, that most people don't want anything to do with commitment. We see it in the divorce rate, that people don't like to commit. And we need to be keepers of our word. We need to throw this down. False accusers, that's number 10. False accuser means to be a liar. It means to be a troublemaker. And it actually, if you get down to the root, it means to cover your own hide. And I don't know if I need to say this tonight or not, but I'm going to say it. Christians just can't lie, folks. Christians can't lie. I, I, I can't imagine needing to say that. But let me say that it's said at Word of Life Church, Christians can't lie. They can't lie to cover their own hide. They can't lie to, to do a better business deal. They can't lie to, they can't lie for any reason. And if you're lying about stuff, it's selfish. It's not walking in love. And God won't honor it and you'll never prosper. So we, we can't lie. And we have to, you know, the truth is always best. And it might embarrass us, but it'd be better to be truthful. You know, it always, I've noticed like politicians, they'll start out lying so they won't embarrass themselves. And what happens? They always end up being embarrassed because they get caught in their lie, don't they? They always end up getting embarrassed. And so we're not to be liars. Uh, number 11, incontinent means no control. It means letting your flesh rule your life. It means doing what you want to do. Can't do what's right just because it's right. Just have no control over your flesh. You know, sometimes you just got to do what's right when it's right because it's right and even when you don't want to do it. 
There's a lot of times your flesh isn't going to want to do what's right. I told you Sunday night, me and Pastor neither one wanted to get up Sunday morning. But it's right for the pastor of the church to come. <laughs> it's doing what's right. It's also right to get up and pray and prepare ahead of time, not to just roll out of the bed and roll into church. You know? It's right for children's ministers to be prepared, and it's right, isn't it? And we got to do what's right. And if we'll do what's right, our feelings will line up and they will follow. Sometimes our feelings are trailing behind. But they'll catch up eventually. They'll catch up if we just do what's right. And God will honor it. God will honor us doing what's right. Uh, number 12, fierce. To be fierce means to not be gentle. And it's selfish not to be gentle. Number 13 is despisers of those that do good. Why would anybody despise somebody that did good? And they despise people that do good because they're jealous and they're envious. And another reason people despise those that do good is because they want their place. They want to be exalted. They, they, it's, you know, it's like in the Bible... You remember in the book of Acts, it says Barnabas sold what he had and he gave it. He sold a piece of land is actually what it says. And he gave it, the money, and, it, and the church was just, the church, everything was just, the Holy Ghost was moving, the church was moving, and everything was. And uh, Ananias and Sapphira, that was their problem. They were lover, they hated those that do good. They were despisers of those that do good. They wanted that glory that Barnabas was getting. They wanted that exaltation that he was getting. But they didn't want to do what he did to get it. And so they lied to the Holy Ghost and they said, yeah, we, 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 and they sold their land and they said they gave the money, but they didn't give the money. They just gave a part of the money, but they said they gave it all. Amen. And it's because of this. They were despisers of those that were good and they had hate in their hearts. Number 15, and we're just about through, is to be as a heady, no, excuse me, number 14 is traitor. It means to be a betrayer. It means not to be not loyal. We, have, we, we should be loyal to our families and to ministers and to God, most of all to God, but we should be loyal. Number 15, heady. Heady means to be a person who is headstrong, stubborn. Wanting your own rights. And number 16 is to be high-minded. It means being wrapped up in a puff of smoke. That's what it, actually the definition said, to be wrapped up in a puff of smoke. Somebody that's high-minded thinks they're something, but they're just a smoke screen. Number 17, lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than lovers of God. Lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than lovers of God. I, we're not to love amusement more than we love God. And when we do, we're selfish. And if you love vain amusements more than you love God, movies and TV and, I don't know, golf, football, I mean, what are all these amusements? And the world is just on a 
track of pursuing amusements. It's what game can we go to? What event can we go to? I mean, there were people today I saw on the news in Tuscaloosa that came out at 6 o'clock in the morning in this cold waiting to get a ticket to go to some concert that's going to be here in town. Some guy. And uh, Hallelujah. Uh, one girl quit her job to stand in line because she had to go to work at 9 a.m. and she so she quit her job yesterday so she could stand in line today because she said going to this guy's concert was more important to her than having a job. That's, that's what I saw in the news right before we came. I wasn't meaning to watch the news before church. I don't usually, but I wanted to see the weather. I wanted to see if it's going to snow. You know, I wanted to run to the grocery store and get my milk and bread <laughs> if it was going to snow. So after church, I needed to know, you know. Hallelujah. That really shocked us when we moved to Alabama because even when it's going to snow, I never knew anybody to run the grocery store in Texas. But I, so I pondered that. Now, why do that? And I, because we lived in Birmingham when we first moved here, and I thought, well, I think I figured it out. It's, um, in, in Texas, the roads are so flat and straight that you just don't worry about not being able to drive. You just drive. And so you can always get to the grocery store. And um, you might slide a little, but not much, you know. And uh, I guess that's it. But here, but in Birmingham, you know, it could be treacherous in some parts of Birmingham getting to the grocery store, you know. So I don't know about, and I guess even in some parts of Tuscaloosa, it wouldn't be so bad. I think I could get to Winn-Dixie if it would open. I think I could get there. Uh I think I could because it's pretty flat where I live. Anyway, anyway, uh, I don't know. I might not could get up that hill if I went that way. But if I go this way, I think I could figure out a way to get there. So, um, um, but lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than lovers of God. Well, I can guarantee you everybody in that line that was good, they didn't, none of them love God. I mean, because they wouldn't even have wanted to go to that Jupiter bar or whatever it was that's going to have this concert with this guy that I never even heard of. But, um, <sighs> but we can, as Christians, we could be into vain amusements. And we could love that more than we love the kingdom of God. We could love it more than we love building the kingdom of God. And I wanted to say one last thing. Selfishness leads to idolatry. If we don't throw down, pull up, you can get to the point where you're your own God. You love yourself more than you love God. And it's idolatry. You can get to that point. You can get so far into selfishness. And we need to guard against selfishness. And uh, the Lord said it like this, or, you know, <laughs> those little children's toys, it's a jack-in-the-box, you know? Y'all know about the jack-in-the-box, you turn the little handle? Well, selfishness, we can, we can control it. And you know, that jack-in-the-box, when you turn that little handle, and it plays a little song, I can't remember exactly, it goes... And you know, you know, don't you know? Don't you know? You turn it one more. And you get, I know I used to, when my kids had one of those, I think Colin did, and I would get tense right then. It's like, because you get that 
And you know, if you turn it one more, that little thing's going to pop out of there. And that's how selfishness is. We can know when it, we can sense it coming. We can sense that thing coming, and we need to put our hand on the top of that box and hold that thing. We need to hold it down. I mean, if we're in a store and we can feel that selfish, do, 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 and we can feel it building. <laughs> we can feel it building. We can feel it building. We need to get our hand on the box and say no. Amen. And there's other ways to do it, but the best way is not to ever let it get in. Some of us got to get it rooted out, but we can guard against it. Amen. Let's stand up together tonight. Hallelujah. I'm sorry I went a little long and no children's church.